Welcome to Healthcare Beat, a healthcare podcast brought to you by Cypress Shaw's cross-disciplinary healthcare team. Each beat will focus on key industry trends and the latest developments while identifying practical takeaways for those in the space. I'm Adam Lawton, partner in Cypress corporate department and host of Healthcare Beat. Let's jump in. Today, we're wrapping up our special series focused on Cyfarth's publication, The Future of Healthcare in the United States, What a Post-Pandemic Healthcare System Could Look Like. As listeners and readers may know, this is the second edition of our Healthcare Group's signature written piece and provides updates and insights into what the post-pandemic world may look like for the healthcare industry. If you haven't had the chance to read or see a copy yet, be sure to reach out to one of the Cyfarth attorneys who can help you. In the meantime, I'm joined today by Kristen McGurn, who is co-chair of Cyfarth's Healthcare Group and co-author of Chapter 5 in our treatise titled Back to the Future, What's Next for Healthcare Workplace 2.0. Kristen, welcome to Healthcare Beat Series on the Future of Healthcare in the United States. Thanks, Adam. Delighted to be here. Kristen, maybe we can start if you can just briefly summarize what's in your chapter. Sure. So our goal in Chapter 5 was really to help our clients kind of see around corners. We tried to bring thought leadership as we do in the healthcare group routinely from across our labor and employment practice groups to kind of bear on the issues that we were facing at that time in the pandemic. We called on our labor management relations team, the OSHA task force, our wage and hour practitioners, some immigration colleagues to really get a big full picture of you know, what we might think the healthcare workforce of tomorrow could be facing, could look like. We looked at the state of affairs you know, a year into the pandemic and understand now that all of that is sort of even more exacerbated with Omicron and the other variants that have come down the pike. But the idea was really to highlight at that time the top trending issues. Uh, we talked about vaccine mandates and litigation flowing from that and, and the processes required. We talked about employee wellness really across the house and across the healthcare ecosystem, the importance of workforce development, sustainability, belonging and inclusion, and succession planning, given what we saw at that time, which is worsened now in terms of attrition and career relocation. Uh, and we talked about union organizing and other labor management relations issues for non-unionized workforces. And based on what you're seeing so far and what you wrote in the chapter, what are some of the lasting effects that you anticipate the pandemic having on the workplace for healthcare workers, the workforce overall? Yeah, so I think that, you know, I'll focus on two of the highlights. I mean, I think the chapter goes into, you know, a number of these in more detail. But, you know, the first is really a focus on wellness. And I think we're all sort of seeing it, the COVID fatigue, and that's seen sort of nowhere more than in the healthcare workforce, where those folks at the bedside are treating sicker, frailer patients who've perhaps delayed care. They're, you know, facing burnout in their workforce and attrition of their colleagues. So we're seeing healthcare employers really focus on all staff across the house from the front line to, you know, those working on site who've been showing up day in and day out during the pandemic, but also those who they sent home and caused to be remote really in an unthinkable, perhaps, way, deploying some of their talent out of the hospitals and out of provider locations to try to keep the workforce safer. You know, now they need to be thinking about how to maintain connection, human connection with all of those employees and how to meet their needs for wellness, which really have become a burning focus, I think, for many employers and especially those in healthcare. 
you know, focus on mid-career professionals who are dealing with childcare issues that, you know, add a layer of complication, and then focusing really on the differences in wellness needs, distinguishing bedside caregivers from others, but, you know, dealing with workplace violence issues that we've seen exacerbate during the pandemic, making sure that there's adequate training provided when folks' roles are transitioned to enable them to cover for colleagues who are out for COVID reasons or have left, making sure that the anxiety of those transitions is reduced by adequate training, and then really focusing on elimination of non-essential tasks role by role so that people are kind of operating at the top of their license and not being burnt out by unnecessary responsibilities, honestly. Many employers in the healthcare space have come up with innovative options we've seen, you know, extending EAP benefits, telehealth access to mental health counselors, even deploying their own therapists on site to, you know, handle workplace counseling issues. We've seen a lot of focus on belonging initiatives, you know, both to keep connection to those who are now working remotely, but also, you know, to make sure that those who have been on the front line from the beginning of the pandemic are cared for. And then, you know, some of the innovative strategies we've heard are totally screen-free days for those who are working remote and support for those who are at the bedside, including rounding by C-suite executives to sort of, you know, raise the flag and be a champion of those and just do the listening tours that are really required to ensure that leadership is in tune with the wellness needs of their workforce. Building community and celebrating successes is really part of that wellness strategy. And then the other lasting effect, Adam, I'll just touch on briefly is sort of the diversity, equity and inclusion piece. Similarly, I think reflection round sort of getting the voice of the people in the workplace has been an eye-opening process in many healthcare facilities. That work needs to continue. You know, it's been eye-opening to see the healthcare equity piece play out in COVID treatment, access to testing, and all of that really does translate into equity in the workforce and expectations in the workforce for improvements in equity moving forward. Those social justice movements we saw last year and the year before really are going to continue and should command the attention of leadership in healthcare. Thanks, Kristen. That was really fantastic. What specific legal issues or actions should healthcare organizations be thinking about or be aware maybe coming down the pipe? Yeah, so I do think there's kind of a lot coming down the pike in an industry where it's already overburdened and somewhat overwhelmed, perhaps in some pockets of the country. But to that last point I made, you know, to the extent that healthcare institutions and providers and those across the ecosystem have a focus on equity and inclusion and making sure that their workforce feels a sense of belonging, they need to be strategic about setting appropriate goals and strategic about the communications of their goals. I would say working with the guidance of counsel to do that in an appropriate way, both to study and then remediate issues that they find and really monitor the effects of the strategy that they've outlined. So on the equity and inclusion piece, I think it's really there should be a focus in terms of legal considerations on strategic communications and implementation of fixes if any deficiencies are found. With respect to the notion that I raised earlier about many healthcare institutions deploying some staff, somewhat surprisingly in certain pockets of the country, to a very remote work location, you know, there are tax implications of that. There are workforce implications in terms of maintaining engagement that are also legal considerations that need to be focused on. Certainly, if you're going to be trying to source talent from outside the country, you may be wading into immigration territory that needs a careful legal focus. 
Also on the labor management relations side of the, you know, the legal considerations, we have a friendly labor secretary now in the administration. The workforce is frayed and there has been both, you know, cooperation with many unions, but also some antipathy during this pandemic and some historic lengthy strikes that we have recently seen in in certain areas of the country. So those organizing activities, issues relating to pay, hours of work, workplace safety, you know, were issues at the beginning of the pandemic. They continue to be hotspots for union organizing and union focus. And so they just, they need to be a focus of leadership and management. And then staffing considerations, which really flow from the attrition and burnout uh, that we've already discussed, really lead to uh, legal considerations relating to how to source new talent and how to, you know, whether you're setting up testing sites or vaccination programs or really performing the treatment or just dealing with the rest of the house and all the other uh, healthcare needs that are taking place, you know, those staffing considerations come with their own legal pitfalls in terms of relationships with those staffing agencies, the ways in which folks are classified, paid, provided benefits, and, you know, and wage and hour considerations flowing from that. So all of those things, I think, while everyone's operating very quickly, need to be a careful legal focus as uh, healthcare institutions react to the staffing, sourcing, pipeline development, talent drain that we're all experiencing. And as we wrap up, are there any important takeaways, maybe things you haven't mentioned already in this episode from your chapter where folks who've read the publication or maybe are just now listening to the podcast, things that they need to focus on or remember. Yeah. So to the extent that the article was really designed to help our clients see around corners, you know, the question then becomes, okay, what's next? What lessons have we learned? Uh, You know, what, what should we take away from these predictions and, you know, taking stock of what we've been through? So, you know, one of the lessons that I sort of observed from my vantage point was that there was widespread collaboration across healthcare systems and you know, competitive relationships were set aside in order to serve patients with high quality patient care and to share best practices and learn from one another. So I'd like to think that that's something that can continue across the healthcare landscape because I do think that folks, you know, really benefited from that and and can see the benefits of that in real time and reflect upon those lessons learned. You know, the other takeaway is like, you know, hold on because litigation is coming. I hate to, you know, be the bearer of that news. I don't think it will surprise anyone, you know, to hear that early in the pandemic, we were focused on litigation trends resulting from terminations that, you know, some institutions needed to implement implement to manage headcount at the outset of the pandemic, you know, retaliation claims for raising safety concerns, disability and other accommodation type claims and leave related claims, COVID leave and otherwise sick leave, all of that were sort of trending from the beginning of the pandemic. That all continues. And now we're seeing quite a bit of litigation, obviously, from the vaccination mandate process kicking off as well, which we anticipate will continue for some time. So risk mitigation strategies should be a focus. That's another takeaway. While we're anticipating litigation will continue, you know, what can we do to mitigate some of that risk? Compliance audits, you know, employee engagement surveys to ensure that you understand where the issues may lie, and then workforce optimization strategies, including training managers to understand when they're seeing risky issues percolate and how to help stop and mitigate 
those issues by bringing them to the attention of leadership so that fixes and attention can be paid to those issues. And then just recognizing that the landscape continues to shift under our feet. We've all become aware now that the Supreme Court allowed the CMS rule to go broad, you know, and be implemented broadly. So now for those who are Medicare, Medicaid recipients, a condition of participation will be in most pockets of the country and requirements to vaccinate your healthcare workers. And that will apply to 15 categories of healthcare facilities and tens of thousands of workers. So while that litigation uh, relating to those executive orders and the CMS rule is ongoing, we anticipate that, you know, that landscape will continue to shift a bit under our feet, but is an area of focus and, and, you know, vaccination mandates and the, the ramifications of those policies will have impact on healthcare providers and other facilities moving forward for the foreseeable future. I'd like to thank Kristen for joining us today on the Healthcare Beat podcast. We certainly appreciate all of your insight and expertise in sharing your time with us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for another edition of SciFarts Healthcare Beat podcast, especially those who've joined us throughout this series on the future of healthcare in the United States. So you'll never miss another episode. Be sure to visit SciFarts.com where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We look forward to having you with us again soon.